0: Uh, you have never taken any performance-enhancing drug in connection with your cycling career, correct? Uh, and that would include any substance that's ever been banned. Is that fair to say? Correct. Okay. Well, why don't you give me the definition of what you're using when you say you've never taken any performance-enhancing substances? What would that include? Anything that banned? would have included? Well, it would include anything on the banned list.
1: There are reports this evening that cyclist Lance Armstrong is considering a confession. We
0: got to this this moment, which we're like, oh my god, we. We don't have a choice. We have a big headline this morning about Lance Armstrong. The cycling star will give
1: his first television interview since being stripped of his Tour de France title. We
0: were told we were going to a knife fight. Next thing you know, everybody had guns. And so in the spring of 95, we, uh, we went to the gun store.
1: USA Today is reporting that Lance Armstrong will admit to doping on Monday during an interview with Oprah Winfrey. What about the story that Emma O'Reilly tells about the cortisone and you having the cortisone backdated?
0: Is that true? That is true.
1: Yes. What do you want to say about Emma O'Reilly?
0: Hey, she's, uh, she's one of these people that I have to uh, apologize to. Mm-hmm. She's one of these people that
1: got run over, mm-hmm. got bullied. Yeah.
0: Welcome to the Sports Chronicle podcast. In this episode, we meet Emma O'Reilly, former Swan Yor to the US postal cycling team, led by Lance Armstrong and whistleblower to the doping culture in the team and in the sport. Emma tells about reconciling the decade of turmoil in her life that follows sport's biggest doping scandal. You grew up in Tala in, mm. like, the 70s and 80s yeah. or whatever, but yeah. uh, cycling was something that came into your life, didn't it? Like, Sean Kelly was on your wall as opposed to...
1: Yeah, yeah but I was a bit of a geek, you know what I mean? And my poor sister de- despaired of me. But, yeah, and I used to cycle. And kind of then I thought, when I was trying to be an electrician, I thought, you know what, if I do, I did the maths kind of, I thought if I do a massage course, it'll cost me X amount. And if I do two and a half trips, I'll have paid for my massage course. So I thought I'll do a massage course and try and get working with the Irish team and get a few free holidays and just a way of doing a few free holidays and getting around a bit and then kind of I got into it and liked it and I still never had any big mad grand plan but then an American team offered me a job and then all of a sudden I thought this is what I'm doing this American team was based in Santa Barbara living in Tala. do you know what I mean Tala to Santa Barbara in one fell swoop can't do you know so I thought that's great but then because I was electrician I couldn't get a visa to go over because I couldn't see the link between your electrician and your massage service They didn't believe you, did they? Whatever, yeah. You know. So, But the following year, then I got a green card. So I didn't get that job because I couldn't go out there. So the following year, I got a green card and I was still friendly with this mechanic lad and he had said, look, I'm I'm going on the road at this time. We're going for a month. He said, if you can get over before us, come over. And he said, it's where all the big races are. So you'll meet everybody. So I thought, that's fine. I'll go with him. And... I just did a bit, I, there's every now and then in life you get lucky, don't you? I did, um, I looked after his team, which is a team called Shackley, and the lads did great. So they did, they all, they won a load and and actually then they were really, really good because I didn't have any job, didn't have much money and they, um, at the end of it, you get a prize split, they gave me a full prize split, which is what they would have got. And they also called their boss and said, you need to make way in the budget to have this girl. So I got a job out of it as well and had a great time. They were a great bunch of lads. And then one of their lads was going to US Postal the following year. And he had put my name forward to kind of go. And he was a he was team leader at the time, a guy called Mike Ingleman.
0: Were you kind of trading off, obviously you're, you're a good masseuse by that stage, but were you kind of trading off your personality as well or your good organizational skills? I think,
1: you- do you know what, and it's funny because I'm carnage at home, but when I was on the road, I used to call those my control freak days. I was organi- I was really as organised as you could be because there's so many variables, there's so many things going on. I kind of realised early on, you know what, if you can organise as much as you possibly can, when things do go wrong, you got time to sort it. Mm-hmm. But if you're already not organised... It's carnage. And actually, I just, I just kind of loved the whole vibe and loved the whole, I loved, it was quite tangible that if you do this, this and this, and you, this person's got to go in that truck and that person's got to go in that truck and that staff works well with that person. So if you can get them to go in that to that race with those riders, I just loved that all falling into place, that kind of thing, mm. you know, so yeah.
0: Explain to me what, what a swanny is or a swanior. swanior. It's someone who takes care of things, but on so many levels, it's so many different things in, in the world of cycling, what it is like, yeah what's your interpretation of what it is now like
1: what it is I, I see i think it'd be a somewhat different role now because i think now there's one there's more staff and two there's there's more job descriptions whereas back in my day i used to say it's it's you look after the riders and mechanics look after the bikes Do you know so basically whatever the riders need because part of the job was i'd order the food the food and from the food sponsors and all the race kit Mm. you know, the training kit for all the team that was, so you looked after the the clothing, you looked after the food and you looked after the rider and down to getting the massage creams and things like that. So yeah, you really did. You just looked after the ride. Yeah, mm. it, it was quite, and what I loved about it was it's very close. If you know what I mean, there's, there's in the pros, it does break down that there's the riders and then there's the staff, but you can kind of stay as an equal, if you know what I mean. Like, and that's what I liked about our team, was everybody was... And everybody is in any team looking after each other and stuff. There wasn't too much of differentiation. You know, as I used to say to the lads, "Well, your efforts intensive, ours is extensive, ours goes on a bit longer, you know. They're going, yeah, right, whatever. But, yeah, it's, you looked after the lads and because you did that first aid as well and you know, they've gotten the shampoo, you get them shampoo and...
0: They have to be looked after because they destroy themselves, don't they?
1: They do, they do. And that's the one thing is you have to have an awful lot of respect. You don't have to, I guess, but I had... And they would drive me nuts, but I'd drive them nuts. But you kind of had to respect for the effort that they put in and how much it means to them. And that when they had a bad day, you you do just want to give them a hug because they kind of need their mummies. Do you know what I mean? It's like in the tour, you'd see them at the start of the tour. They're all anxious and they're all fidgety and they're all and they're just a pain in the neck looking at every single little detail that you kind of feel like nothing to do with you. You just ride a bike. But then as you see the effort and they are getting more and more tired and they become just walking skeletons and, you know, you're trying to put the rooms as close to the lifts and stuff like that. So they just have to walk as little as possible. And yeah, you just, you feel so sorry for them. They just need to be tucked up in bed. Do you know what I mean?
0: The job used to be kind of associated with so many things, one of them being a courier, but you kind yeah. of carved that little niche for yourself where you went, I'm not I'm not going to handle the doping program, but I'm not going to be involved in that. Yeah. I remember, I think you described it, was it on the late eight or somewhere where you described it as, oh, the, well, they kind of went, oh, she's the girl. And mm. you, Again, maybe you use it to your advantage yeah. or whatever, then you went, I but you could see it existed Yeah. and you wanted to be the head 20 in the yeah. team. But at the same time, you didn't. You didn't managed to. You managed to separate yourself. It. Yeah. Yeah. You managed to. You yeah. didn't want to sell yourself, or yeah. basically. And yeah. How did you do that, though? Because that's difficult.
1: I know, but I, I think I think it's because it was a decision I made before I ever even got involved in the pros that I was never going to get involved in that. And I guess because I knew traditionally cycling has it, and traditionally the Your has it, but I just had vowed that I just wasn't getting involved in it. And I so I guess to coming from a coming from like in in european coming from america as i'd come from an american team to an american team that i didn't come from which is just more traditional i'm not saying that that just say if i'd grown up in france or belgium and kind of been an ex cyclist and done that i'd have known all about the drugs and one of the things i knew if i wanted to stay out of it is don't educate myself on it so cuz the less i know the less i can do and never learn to be able to give us the right like inject someone. So that was that. That was kind of the right, if I don't know about it and I can't inject, they're not going to ask me. And so that's how I kind of tried to stay out of that. And then too there was part of it, it was like oh, she's the girl. And I think, you know, to be quite honest, which is why a lot of the lads have been affected they weren't proud of what they were doing they knew that they, they were doing what they had to do to survive, but it wasn't wasn't something that they'd have kind of had free choice in, in a sense So I think because all the cyclists kind of supported me in their way. They never, ever, ever ran me down or made any comments, the fact. And if anything, they would have said, well, don't get involved. you you find out. So it, the irony is the riders all supported my decision. Like some of the staff would sometimes kind of go, she doesn't know. She is the girl. Do you know what I mean? Whereas I think actually the riders were kind of going, well, she is the girl. So we don't need to give her that dirty part of our lives you know mm. so that's how I think Have I you after it. a while
0: notice uh, there's a reason why a bad Swanny doesn't get fired because he probably has other things oh, that you do oh we don't knew that see. but
1: we'd all talk amongst ourselves in the feed zone at dinner and amongst the other staff oh and you knew who exactly was a really good Swanny, and you knew who exactly had a job and why they had the job even if they couldn't give a massage for love nor money oh yeah no we all knew and yeah, I could mention I could give you names of, do you know what I mean but it doesn't matter now yeah 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 you knew and you knew from how much someone was making
0: But it was unavoidable, wasn't it? You had the courier sometimes, didn't you? Can you talk a bit about what you had
1: to Yeah, no, I can now. Do you know what I mean? And I did. And I did very little of it because one of the things is too, it was such an endemic part of the sport and was just accepted. Like Lance put it right when he said you had to put, it was like putting air in your tyres. It was that part, an intrinsic part of the sport at the time. So that's where sometimes I would feel bad because in a sense I'm kind of going on trying to kind of keep hold of my values and know when I leave the sport I can kind of look myself in the eye. But... In ways, I'm not looking after these lads completely because they're doing stuff. So every now and then, not every now and then, I did it three times. I got asked to do something. I thought, you know what, they're desperate because they wouldn't ask me. Because they did. The riders tried to protect me from it. You know what I mean? And I probably would never have done it for a staff member, but I'd have done it for a rider. Do you know what I mean? And even what I was doing, by taking stuff to someone, was nothing in comparison to what was actually going on. Jimmy, because I was the lunatic. And this before we... Like, when I first started it, it was such... It was so nuts that they didn't even have Sharpie bins or nothing. Like the syringes would end up in the bins in the bathroom in the hotel toilet. And I remember going in and just giving out sting to the lads, not even thinking, not even from them all, but kind of going, you know what, some poor woman on minimum wage is coming in to clean these rooms and those freaking needles are everywhere, you know, you could at least dump them yourselves or put them somewhere safe and of course it probably wasn't even the writers. putting it could have been the, I don't know, could have been the the doctors, but it was just it was just nuts back then when I first started.
0: Crossing borders almost been pretty scary because the Willie Vote story was out I there. Am. You knew what had happened to yeah. him.
1: Yeah, well, I did the 98 tour, Willie. And the funny thing is, and Willie was always really nice to me. He was quite sweet because he had worked with females one years before. So Willie was just a nice, and he was a bit the elder statesman too. So he was a good lad. But I had come into Dublin a couple of days earlier just because i got family. So I said, look, if I come over early, I'll go and do the book in the hotel and, and I'll meet you at the port and bring us to the hotel. And... Um, so I met them. The bus, boats had been delayed. and I remember it must have been about half, one o'clock half, one or something. Late, and obviously a, a load of police motorbikes show up. So I kind of go up to them. and I said, um, "Lads, are you going to give them all an escort back to the hotel?" Because it's so like They said, "No, no, no. We're customs." And I said, what you mean, the customs. It's where customs are going to search the trucks. I said, "I'll tell you what." I said, "You'll have a riot." I said, "Good luck." I said, "You need to bring in the right police." I said, "Because there's going to be a shower of grumpy people on those boats." Because I think it all the mechanics, everybody's gone nuts. Because they're already late. They're getting into the tour late. You're already anxious because it's the tour. I said, "Your best bet, lads, if you want." search these is wait till daylight and come out to the hotels not knowing that Willie had been picked up but Willie had been picked up and then I found that out after and I'm kind of going that's freaking customs were at the docks do you know so it was but that tour wasn't great you saved
0: everyone a last I don't know there. if I did but yeah. it was
1: just one of those because I didn't know what was going on
0: Yeah. but so I was and they were, the, they were Irish customs police yeah. then, and they just they, like,
1: I don't know they maybe didn't know what was going on either they didn't want to you take you I mean?
0: on anyway so that was the end of that was it I think
1: that's how I got away with work.
0: <laughs> fair enough the um, but because like, like, it was so funny like can you tell me how you got into US Postal and especially like Lance arrived onto that team and everyone mm. went oh here like you talk to me a bit about how you describe him as this, this typical alpha male and all yeah. that how Describe him a little bit, but also describe how you and him became so close, how you became his masseuse, and he you be- became his kind of a trusted confidant or a trusted member of his
1: yeah, kind of elite yeah, squad.
0: Can you yeah. talk a bit about how that happened?
1: Um, well, I remember when Lance was coming, because I was in postal then, and I got a phone call actually from Freddie, one of the other 20 years, who was a great lad, and Freddie phones. We were in Worlds in in San Sebastian, and Freddie phones. He goes, Emma, Lance is starting the team next year. He said, everything's going to change. Everything's going to be different. And I said, all right. I said, is that good or bad, though? And he goes, well... Well, good. Basically, it's going to be good. He said everything's going to be much more organised. Everything's going to be. I said, oh, that's grand. Can't be a bad thing, you know. And um, so then Lance came later, a day or so late, or something to to the training camp, and I'd been staying up waiting for them to give him the keys. Him and another lad, Christian, and I'd been staying up to um, give them the keys of their rooms and show them where to go and that So they showed up, and I kind of. Don't you always sometimes when you meet someone you just know they're all right. So we kinda of met and Christian was alright too, the other writer. And anyway, so then just over the course of that training camp we um we just kinda of clicked, I guess. We're both fairly straight and so I think that helped, you know. So, But I remember him just being, this place is carnage, it's chaos, it's disorganised. And I've and I always been conscious of not being a proper year because I don't get involved with the programme and I don't have, say, history of some of the other years And he had asked about his old year and I'd actually seen his old year over the winter. And So I kind of said, I've got his number then. And I was gutter with myself because I thought, you know what, I could be doing myself out of a job here. But I kind of thought, you know what, because uh, I'm not a European you the least I can do is... I still have a job in America. But I probably won't be going to Europe. So I um, gave him the number, but I don't know what happened. I still went to Europe, do you know? And then we just... We just... Lance had come over and then he went back. And then... Because he went over, to did, did um, Paris and left Nice and then went back and did a load of training. And then we met... We didn't meet up again then on the May, June time. But we just got on. Yeah.
0: You, I remember you asked yourself in your book, uh, what was it with me? You're good. You're good at your job, though, was it? But you and him, just it was, just kind of. It, think, dev- it it really did develop to quite a kind of a. a
1: you were part of a kind of the team. Yeah, with him, I think one it? of the things was is, you know, people say you can't say no to Lance or Lance is really intimidating or whatever, and he's not. Lance is a real straight talker, and you can say no to him. You have to have a reason why you're saying no. You have to know why you're saying no, and and if you can't have another solution. And I kind of never minded that because most of the time you're looking for a solution. And I have always and I still always feel the effort they're putting in, the least we can do is actually put a bit of an effort in too, you know, because they are putting a whole big and they're sacrificing much more of their lives than we are. Even though, as I used to say to Lance, when you're finished, this, you don't have to work again. When I'm finished, this, I have to get a job, you know, but yeah, you kind of if you can't step up to the mark a bit
0: yeah fair we enough should be there like it's uh, you, you said a described US postal team which you were involved obviously for a few hmm. years as the most sophisticated professional and successful doping program uh, the sport has ever seen but i surely the most successful one would never have been caught like for starters yeah like, I know idea, so too, would you too what's not your take on when you hear that what do you I think? thought
1: it was a bit of a kind of come, and, I, I, and I think Travis has done a fantastic job but I thought it was a bit of a kind of like marketing strapline almost because what about the East Europeans the East Germans the Russians and look at the Russians still now and look.
0: or the Chinese
1: exactly do you know what I mean the Chinese haven't been caught Their so records all still. Stand, I would yeah. not put down the postal service at all no it wasn't we were just doing what needed to be done but when like they go on about marginal gains now We were doing marginal gains back then. We just called it paying attention to detail. You Mm -hmm. know, it's just paying attention to detail, rephrased, reframed.
0: (laughs) But we He's would, just doped better than everyone else, basically.
1: Yeah, and, and trained harder and stuff like that. And just, you know, got little things. You know, because I remember one stage we had zips on the windbreakers that the Lance sometimes put on the top of a mountain. And in the end, what I did was, it was a bit dangerous when you just about started to descend to have to zip up. So I sent the stuff off and got Velcro put on. We were doing, and like now you'd look at all the radios and they're all in their backs. I used to sew a pocket on Lance's arm armstra- on Lance's... Um, time trial suit on the skin suit so because remember before in time trials all the shout outs banger 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 from a from a loudspeaker oh my god and I used to say that would drive me nuts. So to freaking screaming banger 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 when I'm making this big mad effort so I'm thinking how much of it do you hear so it was probably last idea to stick if you could put it in that we could use the earpiece yeah. I said well I can sew a pocket onto the inside of your skin suit and now they're all do you know what I mean and yeah you hear marginal gains and th- okay. Still, marginal gains, but we had our own '90s version of marginal gains.
0: Yeah, fair you know. The um, like it, it, it was so funny, and I, I, I liked the way he described because he wrote the foreword for your book. So yeah. everyone thinks that you and him weren't supposed to be friends anymore, but you you've buried a hatchet a long time oh, ago. Completely didn't buried, and he wrote a really nice foreword for your he book. Did,
1: actually, yeah. Uh, and
0: one of the things he said was, "You see the world in the cool shades of grey that it really is." So I also felt that was a really good way of describing how cycling is. You know, it, yeah, to, because and this is the thing about. When you talk and you've written about it, doping is not black and white. Sure, it's not. There's, no. a, there's a lot more. It's it's a very intricate uh, yeah. business. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Do you you kind of you understand what he means when you, underst- you yeah. understand how they justify it? And
1: absolutely, completely, and even and that's why and to this day I have no problem with the writers actually going on the program because I saw firsthand the dilemma they were put in and, and the reason I spoke I wasn't about. The riders, it was about the situation and the circumstances that they were put in and the fact that were not being protected by the people who are meant to protect them. These are athletes. They'll do anything to win. Th- these are people who've sacrificed all their lives to get to where they are. The rest of their peer group have gone to college, are getting jobs, and moving on their career. These guys go back and start stacking shelves somewhere. Do you know what I mean? So I could understand. And they're not going home every night at five o'clock. They're going home to... A, um, terrible hotel room probably for the most part of it they're rooming with these other guys and everybody's under pressure to perform and then all of a sudden the team's not performing everybody's down the dumps and everything. And the doctor comes in and he said well look it, this will help you recover and your legs are in bits and you have no energy and you're so tired you're not even sleeping well there's only so many times you can say no to that You know,
0: recovery is a big thing.
1: Recovery is, we're obsessed with recovery and psych and obsessed.
0: It's in in every sport, that's what doping is. But that's where where
1: you get fit. If you can recover, you get fit.
0: You made a very good point because uh, Lance Armstrong is the worst doper of all time in the history of sport, and it's all established and all that. but He's the lightning rod that protected the UCI. Would that be the way you yeah, see it? Yeah, and
1: actually I wouldn't say Lance is the worst doper, I'm sure. No, you know, know what I mean. Yeah, but he's I know been, he's been, been, portrayed, he's as been yeah. portrayed as that. And he's not at all. Do you know what I mean? What Lance did was just took a more pragmatic approach to it than most did. Do you know what I mean? And he is a pragmatic kind of person. So if you're going to be pragmatic in one aspect, you're probably pragmatic in other aspects. But yeah, he was the lightning rod for it all. And then you know what? Even his doping managed to kind of build careers for people. You know? So... Yeah, it's not, and I I don't, you know, two and taking all the seven things off him and belittles the effort that him and the team put in, and like Johan, Johan, whatever everybody else, he was a great manager, he was a great strategist, he was, and he was, he wasn't always popular with the riders but he was good at getting what he needed out of them.
0: You had a great relationship with him, didn't
1: you? We had a great relationship, me and Johan.
0: (laughs) But it's just not... Your strong personality is probably why Lance liked you, but it means you're going to clash with people.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it means I wasn't good at backing down. But myself and Johan have um, made up as well. Yeah, yeah. Johan came up to Manchester one time and we had lunch and it was great. It was really, really interesting. It was really interesting, i say, 10 years later and we're both out of the situation for us both to have this chat and to kind of actually, for the first time ever, to look at that I could see things from Johan's point of view. And he was trying to see things from my point of view. And I kind of I was then I did have to admit, well, actually, I was probably an awkward beggar to manage, do you know what I mean? Because I didn't talk to him for about a year, year and a half. Like, how do you get away with that and your boss? You know, because I just wouldn't compromise. I've talked to him about business, like kind of, you know, with nothing else. And obviously, he was my boss, so he could be, as he said, just an absolute dick to me.
0: Can you tell me what it's like if you could give advice to? I think it's thirty-year-olds, your thirty-year-old self Mm. about whistleblowing. What would you say?
1: I would say try to protect those around you more, and really think long and hard. Do you believe? Because one of the things, and even to this day, I'm, I'm better now. But what I the guilt I lived with was kind of speaking out against the people that I actually did care for. Do you know what I mean? Some of them obviously more than others. And a a sport that had been really good to me and gave me a great opportunity. And I will look back now when I'm in my old rocking chair at 90 odd and go, God, I had great twenties, you know, that I didn't have to knuckle down and work like a dog. And I kind of traveled, met loads of interesting people, but still managed to save some money and build a career on it. Do you know? So, that would be, that be yeah, can you live with the guilt within yourself of what you're doing? Because, yeah, and make sure you know, or you do you feel comfortable putting your value system out there and knowing it's going to rock other people's world, because really that's what I was doing. I was being judge and jury. And so, yeah, I would just ask the 30 year old to kind of, yeah, can you live with being judge and jury and how do you protect those close to you? Because my boyfriend at the time, he's now dead kind of, but he had MS and MS doesn't like stress. And all of a sudden he was in the middle of all this stress and that it didn't help. So that kind of, yeah, just really, and make sure you're doing it for the right reasons. Because one of the things I did do was actually speak to Johan before I spoke to David, because I wanted to make sure I wasn't doing it to be horrible to Johan, you know. But then I realized, no, it was something I always had. I always had a problem that I hated. You, you could see a rider when they went on the program. They kind of lost kind of any love of life, really, and seemed to lose the love of the bike. And they'd be doing well. But... The excitement was always kind of contained and they just wouldn't look you straight in the eye the way they used to. It was just different. There's just a demeanor change and I hated to see that. And I personally thought it brought about, a lot, that I'm a non-medical person, but that it brought about a lot of depression. And if you look now, how many of the cyclists from my generation are dead? You know, and then there'd probably be a load that we don't know whose personal lives have been affected. And and even like after the whole um, USADA report came out and I spoke to a few of the lads, You just saw that it, and then they were kind of be making scapegoats once again and you know that yeah so if you got to blow the whistle think about it long and hard and try to keep your loved ones out of it
0: would you do it again
1: i do you know, i probably would because i do think, even though i don't know if it was if it's helped sometimes you do you got to stand by your principles sometimes do you know what i mean yeah so and I probably it, would.
0: It, it was really, um, it was quite horrific. You, you, you were telling the story of the amount of pressure you were put under by when uh, when Lance Armstrong was suing you, yeah. when the Sunday Times was being sued, and mm. you were involved with yeah. like that, and yeah. and you saw what was happening to Mike,
1: your yeah partner, yeah. and
0: he went from walking to being in a wheelchair. Yeah, from, and the way you described it, I believe it. Yeah, but you need to actually write these things down for people to understand. Yeah, people don't understand from just, do you? Know, do you know yeah, what I mean? yeah. Like, can you try and put into words like how how just how rough that whole period was when you were being sued from
1: Yeah, there was nothing in my back was against the wall. It was never ending. I, I wanted to call the book like the lost decade, do you know what I mean? Because my 30s were just lost. That's what I kind of do feel. But yet you still you learn from everything. But um But yeah, but you know what, because Mike was getting worse and he had to quit work and then so kind of financially the pressures were on me to do and I bought the business, I had to remortgage, I had to buy the business and the business didn't turn around as quick as I thought it would. So financially we we are potentially in trouble and I'm getting sued and Lance has called me whatever name, but all I could focus on at the time was just... Trying to protect Mike and look after Mike, do you know what I mean? Because he was just getting more and more down, obviously, you know. Because he was he was a big alpha kind of guy, and going into a wheelchair wasn't his style, and being looked after by a woman wasn't his style at all. Do you know? He'd always been the man of the house, if, if you know, I mean, even from a kid kind of. And um, so that, and then having to the house, and I couldn't go home to Mike and say, "Well, actually, the business isn't turning over, so I'd have to go home to Mike and go, yeah do you know what? Today was a great day. We did this, and yeah, you know, he could just feel it.' And I'm kind of, "I like, oh, hope he doesn't look at the bank account." You know, so all I could focus on was that. And I thought, you know, whatever some idiot in America is calling me, he can go and call whatever he wants because I knew it wasn't true. So the stupid person in me thinks, well, the truth does come out and I'm telling the truth and they're not. So I kind of had to just park Lance and all his stuff. And even with the Sunday Times and all of the other stuff, I wouldn't deal with it in work at all. And I wouldn't tell people my way of surviving was just not tell people and like, kind of people knew, but they didn't know any extent of what was going on, and so I could just do work, park that, come home, and that's why I'm amazed
0: you it. went back. You, you said you do it all over again because it puts so much strain on your life and your and your loved ones. Mike yeah. passed away since.
1: Mike's dead now. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: But and and yet you still stand by your principles. That's
1: <laughs> but I kind of think we have to. Don't get me wrong. I'd be much more pragmatic now, but I'm still. And well, my intention now for the rest of my life is never to be in such a situation that I might feel I have to stand up and mouth off. But I kind of feel if we didn't, that's why we're not living in caves. That's part of being a civilized society is, is standing up for your principles and having principles, you know? Fair enough. It doesn't make life easy and it makes you kind of annoy people. <laughs>
0: yeah. The, uh, after the Oprah interview, a lot of people, Lance Armstrong was put into the sociopath. Yeah, uh, it was, uh, and it became an, it became a I thing did. that. And to be honest, from looking at that interview to reading these really sensible and intelligent people write yeah. pieces, yeah. I went, "Oh yeah, he is," and mm. that stuck to him now. What do you say to
1: that? I see. I would. say, and listen, I'm no expert, so I can't. I would say no, he's not a sociopath. He's a very driven lad. But the thing is, and which is probably one of the reasons I felt so bad and why also too we could make up is, Lance's got a really nice side to him, and there is a real decency in him as well as this complete will to win and if you're not part of that, you nothing to me, you know, you, I'll just keep the people who I need. And, but um, this sociopath thing, they, these are people who kill people and, and you know what the thing is too, with Lansing the Cancer, I know from what I gather it became more of a marketing tool, but well, that's from what I gather. But I was there when that whole Cancer Foundation when Livestrong started and I saw firsthand how much that meant to him and how much he wanted to give back. Sociopaths don't want to give back do you know what I mean and even since since and I've made up a couple of times friends have had cancer or whatever I've just asked him like, would he send them a, he's done that within two hours of me being in touch with him do you know what I mean so he's still doesn't, sociopaths don't do stuff like that mm. they don't do favours for people especially someone like me who's in cycling world is kind of do you know what I mean and do a favor for some cancer that he's not getting anything back from.
0: It's funny though he's, he, he has a picture being painted of him that he's just gonna, never going to be able to remove or...
1: No but I, I actually I wouldn't be surprised no, Lance that he will. He'll get a or get a new generation of people who will have forgotten you know his past sins or else the fact... And one of the things I kind of like about him, he's not gone out to really redeem himself. He's still just doing, carving his own path, yeah. you know. But I think he's behaved with loads of dignity since. Because once he did the Oprah show on himself, he did not he didn't keep, he didn't try and make himself out to be a victim. He didn't, to some extent he did, but not to the extent mm. some would, you know. He just kind of got his head down and, yeah. dealt with the case dealt with each thing as it came up do you know I
0: I love that this is not black and white but but it, from people would hear you say this and they'll go but he called you an alcoholic and he in a deposition he called yeah. you a whore yeah. and yet you can, you've can you moved on you've let this go what was your process to, to get past that for you
1: apparently I could see where he was coming not I couldn't see because I wasn't uh, I knew he was going to attack me and I could see from I've broken rule number one in cycling I've come out and broken the code up so I yeah so I knew nobody was going to have sympathy for me within cycling. Do you know what I mean? And I felt so guilty over breaking that code anyway. You know, so I knew that I'd broken rule number one. Therefore, and also too, I, I kind of betrayed the confidence of people that I cared for, and I really struggled with that because you shouldn't betray anybody's confidence. So I always understood where he was coming from. I didn't agree with what he was doing, but I knew where he was coming because I, I was on that side at one stage. So, so that's why, in ways, it was relatively easy to forgive him because I had to forgive myself too, but also too, Lance got in touch with me before the Oprah show and there was no way was I talking to him before the Oprah show because I just knew he'd use it. and There's no way was I even giving him, all I had to do was say hello. Oh, we've touched base. <laughs> he was not getting that. So, and then it was a couple of months later. That's I kinda, where
0: he, she cornered him on the topic of you. Was, yeah. was one of the main things. that. Uh,
1: yeah, so yeah, well I saw it, did you know what I mean? Well, and that's why I knew him well enough to know that he only has to say hello to me you know, or even if I'd called him back and we hadn't spoken, we've still touched base. We've tried. You know, he can start off. You know, and then so a couple of months later, I got in touch with him again, and then just over the course of months, did we kind of just we were just texting each other, but uh, he he definitely I wasn't always. Nice, like every now and then he would just get a grumpy text from me or just kind of gone, you know you're a tow rag or you'd well, I don't know if I called him rag, but I definitely he would have got because I had to go through my journey and he'd go through his journey, do you know, so eventually then
0: who was suing you and that time who did you who, think was suing you and I who thought Lance was?
1: I thought I was being sued as part of the times thing, you know, and um, but it turns out I wasn't and then then I kind of called Lance and said. You know, by that stage, we'd already spoken. And I called him. I said, look, at, did you sue me or did? He's going, Do you know, Emma, he said, I've just been with the lawyers today in San Francisco just talking about exactly did we or did we not? And I said, you know what? I still don't think he's did," And that's why then we were already going to meet. And then I decided I'd bring a journalist with me because I still didn't fully trust Lance. But I thought, you know what, if he is being straight, well, then he should get the opportunity Of it. And also, too, I just thought, you know, I've been done over so often. If I have my own protection, Glance can just get someone to take a picture, send it out on Twitter of us in a hotel lobby, and I've lost all control once again. So I thought, if I bring someone. Who'd you bring? So I brought a Daily Mail journalist
0: Matt Lawton, Yeah. 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 Um, did he, did, Matt, did Lance know that was going to happen?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I gave Lance Matt's number and everything like that. And there's where Lance's going, no, if you're happy bringing him, you bring whoever you want. Yeah. yeah, no, no, no. I was completely straight with that, yeah.
0: Somebody comes into your orbit again and they go, I'm thinking about talking to media. You've had experience with Matt Lawton and David Walsh. What, what's your advice?
1: Well, let's just say I don't do things like this that we're doing today. Yeah. But I liked you guys because he's approached me honestly and openly and showed me what you do. <laughs> And that's why. But no, my advice now would be to avoid journalists like the plague. (laughs) Every single year, I have two New Year's resolutions that come every single year. One of them is to not have a lawyer in my life and not have a journalist in my life.
0: Oh my God! What happens if you meet a lawyer or a journalist?
1: <laughs> so yes, yeah,
0: so they're it's, my two resolutions. But it was really interesting what you said because because there was egos all, on all sides. Mm. David Walsh, Lance Armstrong, mm. lawyers talk yeah. about what you meant by that or what, what that period was. Well, like.
1: everybody had, and don't, don't get me wrong. I guess I had my agenda was to try clean up the sport, and everybody had their own agenda. Do you know what I mean? But and and there's where people will tweak things, and I was a bit naive, if you know what I mean. I was just dumb in ways, but um. But everybody had, everybody was trying to protect their own thing and build their own little empire. Jimmy Lance was trying to build his own empire and keep his name clean. David was trying to do what David wanted to do and keep that going. And then, but the, the irony is like so many wouldn't, that they wouldn't come near any of it. And then once the USAND report comes out, all of a sudden everybody's trying to clean up the drugs and clean up things. And yeah, yeah, we know where you're coming from. And yeah, we always supported you. Yeah.
0: Your relationship with David was. Did you, did you yeah. read his book on Team Sky?
1: Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> David told me that in, when we were doing the, tour, the Late Late Show and he said he's going to do that. I said, you're a fool. I said, that you're going to end up looking, all this good work you've done, you're going to end up looking dumb. I said, because you're going to end up being their PR boy. I said, if you think they're being genuine, why don't you phone them the morning of Paris-Roubaix or something? and say you can't go, but Paul Kimmage or Frankie, someone else can go, someone who knows what to look for.
0: Yeah, Because you always said you were going to quit by 30, Yeah. yeah. And you did, did you? Yeah. And did you, why, actually?
1: Which, which was one I would always said I'm getting out of here in my 30s. Then I can say I've had a great 20s. And also, too, the longer I stayed in it, the harder it would have been for me to avoid the drugs. Do you know what I mean? And, too, I never wanted to be older than the riders. I always wanted to be the same age as the riders, you know. Then, enough. yeah, just kept things more equal.
0: Again, I know I'm sticking on Lance a bit, but um, you said people are awestruck by him and... Mm. Um, uh, have you ever met anyone like him?
1: I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Probably not. No. No. No, but he's a bit of a one-off. In all fairness, do you know what I mean? Like, kind of, if you think what he's come through in life, it's not many would have the strength to do what he's doing. Yeah, his done. mother was seventeen when yeah, she had him. Like, yeah. so, like
0: again, there's, there's, there's different parts of people, his character that people have let kind of just slide.
1: Yeah, exactly. Because it's he's
0: a, the enemy, he's the evil. And he's Lance not. Armstrong do you know what I mean? He's yeah. just had
1: to. He had to grow up a bit too soon, if you know what I mean. Even though, like, him and his mum got on great and stuff, like his kids, so he was definitely loved and all of that. But obviously, he had to grow up. They didn't have much. And then uh, he did have a stepdad, but it doesn't sound like the stepdad was a great dad. And so, yeah, and then he was always a talented triathlete. He was a professional triathlete by 15. You know, he didn't do mainstream ever.
0: Mm. He, he, he is one of the great dopers of our time, but you describe him as his ability to recover. And his mental fortitude. His mental fortitude. From th- another planet as far
1: as and Yeah, but even if, when they're doing tests, his, lacto- his lactate threshold is higher than most. So he doesn't go into reserves till a bit longer. So he's going to recover quicker than a lot. But, but, but you'd see him coming in for a massage and he would just, you could feel his legs, they're just empty, there's nothing. And then the next day, and it's not just the dope. And
0: Raising the grapes is what you described it as, yeah?
1: <laughs> yeah, when they're dehydrating stuff, yeah. Got you do, <laughs> but his, he mentally he was so strong. But I guess maybe that's how he survived all the adversities that life's thrown at him.
0: Yeah, the um, there's a, a there's a great um line you said, uh, like N- none so blind as those who will not see.
1: You don't want to see, yeah, yeah. And people didn't want to see. They wanted to believe.
0: People you know, are like, that, that goes in every, every in anything, walk of life. In any
1: aspect of life, yeah. yeah.
0: People don't want the problem when yeah. it's right there in front and of in you. And in
1: ways, yeah. I dealt with the doping problem when I was in cycling by, well, if I don't know about it, then it, it's happening, but it's not happening, do you know? Yeah.
0: But then there's a contrast. Like, you, you're getting rid of syringes, but at the same time, the, the joy of being part of... The miracle Mm. of Lance winning Mm. the 99 tour can you describe how you were able to put one thing aside because of the euphoria of the other
1: I guess but I guess to putting that one thing aside is is it was part and parcel of cycling everybody who's getting results was doing it but also too they're not just doing drugs and hoping it'll all happen they're out there training in the wind the rain the snow when everybody else is in by the fireside they're kind of having no desserts there's being hungry in the winter to kind of keep the weight off and not celebrating Christmas and, you know, or their kids' birthdays and not having a piece of birthday cake with their kids and things like that. that that's, that's the reality and that's what gets them. Mm. Who gets the
0: dope on a team? Pardon? It's not everyone gets the dope on a team from your...
1: No, it's still different levels, yeah.
0: it's not really fair, actually, a lot of the time, is it?
1: No, but you know what? It still doesn't even equal the playing field because, like, back in my day, it was, it was hematocrats. And Jonathan, one of our riders, naturally, because he was born in Denver, he, so he grew he grew up at altitude, so naturally his hematocrit was quite high. And some of the others who say grew up at sea level, their hematocrit wouldn't have been as high. So they're going to get a much better effect than Jonathan, who can't have any because he's already high, do you know? Mm. His levels are already... So no, it doesn't even the playing field.
0: Can a can a clean team make it into the Tour de France?
1: I'd like to say, yeah, you know that now things have changed and from what i'm not involved in cycling at all but from what i gathered after you said report the culture was changing a bit that you could and there's a lot of teams now that do say they're clean and they're part of this mpcc and they seem to have really strict guidelines you know so yeah because they're not even they won't let a lot of the TUEs through and stuff like that so
0: let me put it another way can a clean team get onto the tour de france and be successful
1: I, I'd like to think they can. I can't give you an answer. I don't have to be a PC.
0: Yeah, because it was. But just, just on on doping. It, mm. Like this is. I'm sure you figured this out quite after a while, or even in retrospect. Doping has existed in cycling forever. Like. Yeah, is there, is there, how can you convince me that it's gone?
1: <laughs> well, I see that's why if the cameras are off and stuff, we'd have a complete different conversation. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, so my strap line, yeah, I'd like to think they can.
0: Yeah, yeah. Have you seen? Even, again, you're outside looking in, but you, you, you've rebuilt a lot of relationships with people in, it, in who are still involved in cycling. Yeah. Can you see a, a change in culture?
1: Just from speaking, though, I haven't. I've kind of put it a bit behind me in a sense. And actually, I'd love to go in a race now and just see. You know, like on a bit of a stage race and just see over As a few days. Funny. No. <laughs> No, I'll drive a car or something. I'll make a few bottles, you know. But um, do the odd feed zone. But um, but from what I gather, the culture is different, and people are respected now if they want to be clean. My day, people weren't. They were. If you wanted to be clean, and now you were just put under a lot of pressure. Yeah, yeah.
0: And you think that's been because? Because what I'm saying is in like. I struggle to understand how, in the most elite sports, not just cycling now, yeah. how it doesn't exist in some form. And
1: because so sport has I.
0: never been, we've yeah. never seen the athletes in yeah. the conditions that they're in now. Yeah. In, across exactly. all sports. And,
1: and naturally, I am. Isn't
0: the tour faster than ever as well?
1: Yeah. <laughs> And our bodies have really evolved over the past 20 years, haven't they? Yeah. Yeah. The skin suits, it's all in the skin suits and the clothing and the aerodynamics of the bike. I, so that's
0: but, why they don't let Serena wear the skin suit, is it?
1: Maybe, that's what it is. But, um, but yeah, it, I would naturally be cynical. But we all like to believe, don't we? But naturally, I'd be cynical.
0: Le, okay, let me talk to you about unethical doctors. You've come across a few of them. What, what do you think, and again, you've come across doctors who are in teams who have doped and all What
1: do you think motivates them? it's almost like a Munchauser syndrome thing I think that they kind of getting the results through their kind of magic do you know so and I do think there's almost like a competition within the doctors and stuff that yeah look at It's smile that's mine you know so I do actually think they kind of now it's all kind of speculation just looking at them but you could kind of see that I'm the best doctor here look at my look at my riders who the riders you who you the
0: got. Uh, who was the most impressive? Obviously Michelle Ferrari and yeah. Dr Pedro. Yeah. And, but who, who to you were you just like?
1: I didn't. I wouldn't have done that with any of them because I thought they were all dirtbags. I just couldn't agree. My stupid thing, I wouldn't even, I used to run when I was in cycling. I wouldn't run with the doctors because I just disagreed so fundamentally what they were doing to the riders. Do you know what I mean? Even though obviously some of the stuff would have been to help them but just the situation they were putting them in. It was just
0: uh, to uh, you know, not, not even talking about doping, but yeah. to a certain degree, uh, there's an ethical line there if you're a mm. doctor trying to get people to, yeah. to damage themselves, yeah. isn't there? Yeah. I and see it in I team couldn't. sports all the time as well. And that's what I
1: couldn't. I couldn't reconcile myself with the fact that you're meant to be a doctor, you're meant to look after. And you're kind of not only not, to me, that was my opinion, to me, you're not even not looking after their physical health. You're ruining their mental health as well you know, putting them in that situation. and
0: Yet they need a doctor, don't they?
1: But yeah, they do need a doctor. And that's why they, the doctor can help, but the doctor went beyond helping, I mm. felt.
0: Mm. There was a bit in your book where they were discussing the TUA, had to backdate the TUE, yeah. and you were just quietly working away on his calf muscles. <laughs> Did they almost not notice that you were to fly on the wall sometimes? <laughs> no idea.
1: That but that was the one I had felt so guilty over ever speaking out against because mm. it was that was where I had a real ethical dilemma because I shouldn't have. But yet by not... I'm, th- I'm not shown how corrupt the UCI was, you know. Mm. So uh,
0: do you, has the UCI been um, cleansed enough, or have you seen it, or are you seen? I'm not
1: involved at all. Yeah. So I couldn't, yeah. you know. And but I don't yeah. know this new guy. I'd met Brian Cookson, but I don't know this new guy.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, again, and what's your perspective from um, from being inside the elite world of sport? Um, like you, you did what you did because you were concerned about the health of the riders. Mm.
1: And I didn't want the next generation to have to go through what I saw my generation going through because it wasn't making them happy. You know, um,
0: what has has anything changed or has enough changed?
1: And I really couldn't tell you because, yeah. and obviously too, I'm not really welcome back into. <laughs> cycling <laughs> too much. <laughs> I don't think any team would want me near them.
0: In <laughs> a image so, as well, as a struggle. Well, then again, mm. he does cover it. He can go cover it So
1: store. I guess, yeah. So I guess I can't give an up-to-date. Maybe I should go, maybe to work this one year for a couple of weeks and see. <laughs> no.
0: <laughs> Fair enough. Um, uh, Betsy um, was such an interesting character in all the stories that have come out about the US postal team because she was really like right in the centre of the eye of the storm and Mm. yet she was going I know you a doping I want you to stop doping. Mm. That must have been an awful problem internally from within the team just to keep her sweet because
1: Well nobody bothered keeping her sweet really do you know what I mean because really all she was doing was more concerned about Frankie doping and not doping so that was between her and Frankie you know and the wives aren't at every race they're at the odd race so it wasn't Fair enough Yeah
0: Fair enough Um. You said you said a great thing. Um, forgiveness brings peace.
1: It does. Yeah. How long did
0: it take you to? When did you figure that out?
1: I guess in ways, I always and it's probably one of my ways when I when I was being sued. And yeah, people say you're being sued by a global superstar. I'm going, no, I'm being sued by Lance. I, I remember the Lance that I knew as a human being, if you know what I mean. And. I, and I guess in ways, the piece it brings to is the fact I never hated him. I never disliked him. I, I could understand where he's coming from. I disagreed with what he was doing, but I understood where he was coming from. So in ways, the forgiveness meant we could both just move on with our lives, you know, and hates too. You'd have to really, you have to care an awful lot to hate. And you shouldn't be caring about somebody you hate, you? do you know what I mean? So now forgive us definitely. And it's definitely helped me move on. Because it definitely did mess me up for years. Do you know what I mean? So the forgiveness bit does help. Yeah.
0: A lot of people don't realise that.
1: I know. I got more hassle for forgiving them than for ever speaking out. And it, re- it really messed me up. Like, I couldn't deal. People hate me for forgiving. Like Betsy doesn't talk to me now, and says I've just got munchos. Not says munch- I've got battered wife syndrome. And yeah, and it's like, well, actually, one, Betsy, I'm the one who came out for LA competition, put my name to it. You didn't. And two, you're the one who goes on about being a Catholic. We're meant to be all about forgiveness, you know. And three, Lance and I can actually talk without either of us having a bad word to say. Do you know what I mean?
0: Yeah. And I, I find it so fascinating what you say. But you, you see him. Uh, Kind of reinvigorating, or uh, kind of finding redemption, almost in his life. He probably has he he personally done that already? Do you think? Or
1: I think in ways, and uh, I don't know because we know it's not like we talk it every day and everything like that. But in ways, he's just got on with his life. He's got on spending more time being a dad. He's he's does his podcasts. He's still friends. He's still got some of his old crew of friends. Do you know what I mean? I guess one thing it's it's made him figure out who his friends are, who they aren't, and what is important, what isn't. So. And now he's got the lawsuit all sorted, so he really can get on with his life and stop being haunted by it all.
0: And do you have peace in your life?
1: Yeah. Yeah, now I do, yeah.
0: How's the body clinic going? Can you tell us a bit about it? The
1: body clinic's going great. Well, yeah, is no, it? it's, it's just a little physio clinic. I always say it's a little physio. It's a little physio clinic in a village in Hale in Manchester, and we do physio. We do a uh, massage. And actually, now I'm going to do life coaching, because after this... I kind of got into the life coaching thing, so I'm going to do that for retired athletes. To
0: explain to what, what, what would be your philosophy.
1: The philosophy is really that, and it's, I've always had respect for athletes. Is like they've got all these time management skills, they've got team skills, they've got they can get on with people. They're really disciplined, and yet when they come out of a sport, they're just left floundering. You know, and to kind of help them reinvent themselves that so they might not have the education as academics, but they've got a lot more education than most academics have and to help them kind of reinvent themselves for the next part of their lives, because the sport is never going to last forever. But a lot of them kind of can't move on. They don't have the tools to move on, but I can hopefully give them the tools to move on.
0: We see it a lot in this room because they have so many tools and so much things. But most people don't live in the elite world. They live in the mediocre world. Yeah, and world. they have to come We're back a bit sloppy and we're a bit indisciplined in yeah, the
1: real world. Yeah, and that's why if they could learn that the tools that they have and the skills they've learned are worth way more than any degree... And they can actually go and get a degree if they want, but they don't necessarily. But those skills are like make them so employable, and but so too to start their own business or do whatever they want to do, yeah. and actually use their sporting life as a benefit to their second part of their life. Yeah. So
0: that's a good thing for you to do, isn't
1: it? Yeah, especially after what I've been through and stuff. Yeah.
0: Have you reached out to anyone, or have you started the process?
1: i uh, i done. I'm starting with a couple of um, footballers. Oh yeah. Because there's a lot over in um, in Manchester.
0: Hmm.
1: So uh, Would yeah. Would you have them in the clinic? I'll probably do it in the clinic. Yeah, yeah. It's something you could do at their home where you do the clinic. I'll kind of would start and see the first time at their home and then bring them into the clinic. So it's more of a work because you kind oh. of have to challenge them. You have to.
0: Yeah. So the process has started. You're. you're, you're oh
1: yeah. No, I'm qualifying stuff now. Do you know what I mean?
0: What's the qualification? It's just, just a
1: life coach. It's through this barefoot thing. That is. It's. It's part. It's through the University of Chester because I wanted to get a proper academic one rather than for the life coaching courses. But I wanted an academic one, so it's part of a master's program. Great. So it's a proper one. Yeah. It's good. It's really dead interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But I have always felt that they are left a bit to flounder. And something like 50% of them end up divorced in five years and something like 75% of them end up either bankrupt or pretty much with no money.
0: But they're not on the road anymore years. and they have do their own laundry and they're not surrounded. That's it. There's and not, they
1: can't work into a restaurant they'll get a table. Like stupid little things like that. Then, yeah, And it's who what their whole identity was. And they have to recreate it. Yeah. Or oh, just, yeah, get lost behind.
0: There was a funny thing. Uh, uh, Julian, is your is your is kind of your father oh, on the road over here. Yeah. Years? Like, he, you, you rang him and he, he warned you like you know mm. uh, but then you, 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 actually came, you ended up bringing him around the time of your book See the thing well.
1: is when Julian and I had always stayed friends even when Johan and I had fallen out and I knew Julian when I came out against the drugs that Julian was going to get crap because yeah, look at there you were friendly with her and look at her and so I made the decision that once I came out I couldn't speak to Julian again because I just didn't want him be involved if you know what I mean at all I kind of needed to stay out of his life and I, I, I adore Julian and missed him terribly and so that was um, after Johan and I had made up I said to Johan do you think Julian would talk to me kind of so then Johan actually orchestrated that and then when I did talk to him and afterwards like at the very end of the book you know and actually that's it I, when I read the book then, then she finished that it, it kind of made me cry and I was meant to see Julian go over to Julian there two weekends ago but he's having a hernia operation but I'll try to get over to him
0: it's funny. You think people are never going to forgive you, and then you think you almost think your world's going to end at one some stage, and yeah. all of this, and then, yeah, time, time, kind
1: of, time is a great healer. It's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: and like you built up because again, I oh God, we're going we're gonna to harp on Lance so much, but you yeah. built up such a bond with him that, and then the things that were said that you said about him breaking the yeah. Omerta, and, and then yeah. he said about you, which were horrific because yeah. he, he was on this call, and it really. People still don't know, I think, because unless they bought your book, that yeah. uh, you to are okay. people yeah. still think that you're like enemies yeah. for life. No, no, no. Because the like we spoke that's not a couple of months ago. Though, you know? It
1: no, it's not, and it's and it's funny. It's it's exactly the same way we would have spoken to each other twenty years ago. It's bizarre. Yeah.